Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks from Knight Frank. I'm your host, Anna Ward. Today we'll be looking at how pollution rules are impacting housing delivery in England. In the autumn statement, Nutrient Neutral Housing Development got some airtime. Specifically, the Chancellor pledged £110 million towards unlocking 40,000 homes. This formed part of an overall package of nearly £600 million towards building new homes. Joining me to discuss the latest progress and news on nutrient neutrality are Steph Small, a rural surveyor at Knight Frank, and Sam Knight, partner at law firm Owen Mitchell, who also has a niche specialism in nitrate neutrality mitigation matters. Hi, Sam and Steph. Hi there. Hello. So, Steph, what was your take on the government's plans to invest more money into delivering nutrient mitigation schemes? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the statement mentioned that £110 million towards nutrient mitigation, but then gave no further details of when this is going to be given and how it was going to be given. So I think it's a welcome concept, but I think it's only going to be a partial solution. And they also mentioned that only 40,000 homes, it's not that many across the whole country when considering there's 150,000 homes currently blocked. So I think that the government, it might it might work, but I think, yeah, right now it's only a partial solution and it's not even, and, that, and there was no details on how long this will take to come to, into effect. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, the other thing I thought was, because um, I have read that the government has pledged money previously to support Natural England, and it does claim also that since July, it's unlocked 50,000 homes and previously it's given a 30 million backing to Natural England. So this 40,000 home number, I guess it's unclear. Do they mean 90,000 altogether? Or is this a kind of revised figure? It's Yeah, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, exactly. It's very unclear. And 110 million pounds of 40,000 homes does seem quite a lot. But And they also mentioned that they're high quality schemes. But again, it doesn't say what they are, when they're going to be implemented, and the method of how this is going to happen. So there's a lot of unanswered questions still, I think. Okay, so definitely need a bit more info on that then. Before we continue, just for anyone that's new to all of this, it'd be great to get your definition of what nutrient neutrality means to start with. Yeah, of course. So nutrient neutrality is a means of ensuring that development plan or project does not add to existing nutrient burdens within catchments. So there's no net increase in nutrients as a result of a plan or project. This is currently specified really in special areas of conservations and Ramsar sites. Nitrates and phosphates are the main type of nutrients currently, with nitrates affecting salt water and phosphates affecting fresh water. Thank you so much, Steph. Great to get your reaction to the autumn statement. Sam, coming on to you now, what I'd really like to know is why you think all of this has provoked such a strong reaction. I know in other countries like Holland, uh, nutrient neutrality has even led to the creation of a new political party. Clearly, it's quite an emotive thing. It's generated a lot of headlines. So what's going on? Why is why did all of this create such a reaction in the first place? Well, I mean, it was relatively overnight. I mean, there are a few areas caught initially and then Natural England just um, rather draconianly just issued updated guidance overnight to sort of 40-odd other local planning authorities and it literally just landed in their inboxes overnight without any warning. So it was... um, that was a big issue for the industry because you had planning applications going through that just suddenly were all put on hold because local planning authorities didn't have the in-house technical capacity to deal with it, you know, without any <laughs> any warning that it was happening. I had one case where I was acting on a, on the setup of a mitigation scheme because it, it didn't just apply to new areas. It also changed the calculations slightly as well. 
So there was that issue that happened and it sort of slowed everything down. And I mean, there was a bit of a moratorium on house building for a time as well. And I mean, house builders have got, you've got to have some sympathy for them because they, they have had the sort of lion's share of the burden and the problem to sort and rather unfairly have sort of been, were lumped with the whole issue and <laughs> faced with having to fix it all on their own, which, which I think is perhaps where the, the sentiment has come from. Steph, I mean, if Sam's saying this sort of came in overnight just with your rural surveyor hat on, I mean, why was it in 2019 that this suddenly came to the fore? I mean, did they only just realise that these nutrients were an issue or why, why was it so sudden? Well, I think the Dutch nitrogen case prompted Naturalism to look into it further and then they started in the Solent and then realised that it was a big issue and spread out initially nitrates first, but phosphates have only recently come to the surface in the last year, year and a half or so as a big issue. And I think there's now currently 76 LPAs which are affected by either nitrate or phosphates across the country. And in terms of what's at stake here, I think what's quite interesting from my perspective in residential research is that the Home Builders Federation has estimated that around 150,000 homes are held up. And certainly in you know all of the meetings that I go to, developers speak about how they've got homes held up in planning. And I also recently undertook a study on the impact of these rules, particularly in the southeast market. So, Steph, I know you're talking about the number of LPAs affected, but quite a big chunk of the ones in the first tranche were actually all located in the southeast. So 21 out of 32. And roughly just looking at the number of homes being approved, not delivered. It's it's easier to gauge the impact in the planning system because delivery, as you know, takes so long. But this has fallen from about 24%. So we've seen a 24% decline in homes being approved in the southeast region. So that's fallen from 20,000 to around 15,000. So that's quite a big drop. So it'd be interesting to hear from you. I mean, this is just the southeast, but and I know this is sort of across England, this is an issue, but just in terms of obviously you're kind of dealing with clients on the ground, like where do you hear about homes being sort of most held up at the moment? I'm mostly working on the Avon catchment, so over towards Salisbury. And I think there's currently over 4,000 homes blocked on that on that catchment area. But yeah, I think the southeast is densely populated anyway, so it's going to have a bigger percentage and a bigger impact. What about more towards, say, the north of England or other parts of the country? How are you seeing things there? So that's become an issue as well. And I know that Natural England have put out a pilot scheme for neutral neutrality credits. I think it's still in its very early days. It came out in March 2023, and I think it's only had three out of the four rounds of applications. So it's quite difficult to tell how effective their mitigation schemes are going to be. But I think the price of their credits are going to be considerably lower or similar towards nitrate prices. I don't know, if Sam, if you agree. Yeah, I do. I mean, the figures that are quoted are obviously all came out of this sort of Litchfield's report. HBF joint report. So speaking kind of cynically, but being in <laughs> produced by the people who are hit most, yeah. the figures might be slightly inflated from an actual reality of these planning permissions are the ones that are solely held up via nutrient neutrality. I think in reality, what you would have is nutrients are a factor, but there's many other reserve matters that are, are proving tricky to deal with. I mean, we've also got the problem of economic downturn at the moment as well. So bringing forward consents, is is there that desire to bring them forward as fast as they were coming forward before? I know it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all comment because there will be particular planning consents that everyone's desperate to get through and it's just nutrients. But I don't know whether there's any data available for, for those planning permissions where it's solely a nutrient factor that's holding them up. I No, I think, Sam, that is a really good point. I think that all we can do is look at the areas that are impacted. And then you can look at things like the number of housing units that are approved. The fact that 
in Haven, this number of housing that has been approved has fallen 80%. I think that does go some way to linking to the nutrient issue. But I totally agree with you, Sam. Obviously, there's a lot of other things going on. And clearly, planning slowdowns, the economic downturn, clearly that's leading to a drop across the board. But you can see patterns where local authorities are seeing a much sharper decline than, say, other nearby local planning authorities. And it's completely out of trend, I guess, for like previous years. So it is noticeable. What's harder is working out how this will eventually impact delivery, because obviously these residential planning applications and things take a long time to go through. To your point, Sam, of course, we would expect a decline in delivery anyway. So it, no, it is it is definitely difficult to kind of quantify the impact for sure. But it would be actually be good, Sam, to hear a bit more from you on how you're going about helping clients sort of offset the impact of nutrient neutrality and things like that. I'm predominantly acting in the Solent region, which was obviously one of the first to be hit by neutrality requirements. So it's probably the most advanced of the general commercial markets for offsetting. So there's various different schemes ecologically. So you primarily see cessation of agricultural activities or creation of wetlands in this area. And they're proving very successful. They unlock developments for developers and they then have that net benefit for you know these water catchments whereby the nutrients and are reduced the issue being that you know house builders obviously hit a bit more harder for a problem that's a bit more wider than just a, a house building issue you've got the fact that it's not just a house building problem that they're sort of taking the lion's share of the the cost of having to sort it just on that point, in terms of the house builders have taken the lion's share, I mean, how would you say house builders and farmers compare in terms of contribution to pollution at the moment? I think it's difficult to measure, really, because different areas are affected by different levels of development or different levels of agriculture. So it's quite hard to put the blame on one person solely. I think it's definitely a mixture of agricultural activity with fertilisers, animal waste, etc. Use and occupation of any buildings already built as well. So hotels, restaurants they're still producing the pollution and then also surface water runoff as well due to the fact that we have more development so I think it's a big spread across the board really so it's quite hard to place the blame on just one. Just to add to that as well I think predominantly what really needs to happen is wastewater treatment works need that upgrading to be done and it should have been done years ago anyway because if they're upgraded then we're going to see a a massive decrease in the amount of nutrients going into these protected areas the Leveling Up um, Act is bringing in that duty. But will wastewater treatment works be upgraded? That is the question. And I think to what level as well, because I think some have already started being upgraded, but I know there's one in the Avon catchment which has been upgraded recently, and that's actually had no impact on the phosphate output into the Avon. So it's actually how effectively are these wastewater treatment works being upgraded? But if it has to be done by 2030, it's going to be a huge cost to the water companies, which will then be put on the homeowners and the increased water bills, likely. Can you give us a bit of an explainer just on this 2030 deadline? Because, I mean, I understand that that is the sort of target date and that essentially all of this nutrient mitigation is supposed to end by then. But why not just start now? Or Why is it going to take so long? What's the hold up? I think funds from water companies to actually do it, it's cheaper for them currently to just pay the fines and put sewage into the water than actually pay to upgrade the systems. It's a huge amount of work and they've been given seven years, which should be plenty of time, but it's whether they'll actually implement it in that time. What are the sort of most popular routes for them to achieve nutrient neutrality at the moment? 
There are a few decent routes that are coming up and more and more are being developed as as we go through the process and the market establishes itself. So the obvious one is, and the simple one is just to purchase credits from either a farmer who's done nutrient neutrality or pig farms are currently a popular topic. So I think there was a pig farm up near Norfolk somewhere, which a developer paid a million pounds to shut down. And then the developer then used that as the credits to offset their foresight mitigation. But then there's also lots of land-based schemes such as reed beds, wetlands, and also sustainable urban drainage systems. But again, all of these come at a cost, so it's up for the developers to weigh up which is the most appropriate for their development, depending on the number of units they're building, I guess. How long can that last? Because once they've purchased so many credits and that then leads to, to what pig farm shutting down, I mean, how long can that continue for? So phosphate mitigation must be into perpetuity. Unlike biodiversity net gain, which is only for 30 years, it must be into perpetuity. So once the farm shut down, it's shut down for good. Won't these developers just run out of things they can just end up shutting down by purchasing credits that, that lead to that? Although I think that's why the market's still establishing. It's finding yeah. other alternatives that are cheaper. And so drainage might become cheaper or reed beds might be cheaper for that certain development or there might be something new that comes to the market in the next six months. So it's such a new and emerging market. And how does it tie into... I know Natural England has talked about the fact it's been piloting a scheme for 18 months. I mean, is this the kind of umbrella organisation above all of the credit systems and things? Yes. So Natural England need to approve each scheme before they can enter a a voluntary section 106. But I think the difficulty is that Natural England and the LPAs don't really have enough good practice guidance yet on what should be an approved scheme and how it should be implemented. And LPAs are taking an awful long time to create these section 106s, which is delaying schemes, which is then delaying developments. So just because there's a lack of guidance, a lack of um, set parameters for each LPA. Okay. And Sam, how much, to what extent is this current political uncertainty around the direction of where this goes? How much is that impacting progress on nutrient neutrality schemes moving forward? So around October, well, September, October time, the government tried to do away with nutrient neutrality altogether by inserting an amendment to the levelling up and regeneration bill, which was voted down in the Lords. And there was then a change of tack from government saying, oh, they weren't going to get rid of it after all. The issue that that causes is just uncertainty. So while that was going on in my practice where we were dealing with nutrient credit sales to developers, so acting on behalf of landowners who have wetlands or, you know, ceasing agricultural activities, it all stopped altogether because no one was going to do anything in terms of buying any credits or, you know, spending any money if there was going to be a change on the horizon. So all that uncertainty just causes issues for the entrepreneurial market because I mean you were saying about there can only be so many sort of pig farms you can shut down and everything but it's (laughs) I'm obsessed with the pig farms (laughs) how can there be so many (laughs) but it's I mean it's a good point it was a entrepreneurial solution that came out in response to government regulation without a solution so natural england came in and said you need to sort this you can't grant any planning permissions unless you can show they're neutral but didn't provide any solutions Uh, so it was the it was the market that came up with these solutions and you know it's evolving all the time and what they're finding is it needs to be driven by the ecology but very much wetlands are a far better way of offsetting than ceasing agricultural activities because the land take is far less 
and you know they sequester nitrates so much better than these you know ceasing agricultural activities whether it's you know not spraying fertilizer on crops pig farming you know dairy as well so it's it's important that if you're acting on behalf of the landowners the farmers or you know they're thinking of doing these schemes of having these flexibility in their 106 agreements or their section 33 agreements with LPAs whereby they could potentially change or improve or alter their their mitigation that they're doing if the science backs it up later on because you know you're talking about a perpetuity obligation here yeah i mean steph made that point earlier and it does seem like i mean you're saying that obviously the market is kind of thinking on its feet aren't you and and taking yeah. decisions but it, obviously it has far-reaching consequences well it does if you as a farmer have farmed this you know this field for generations and all of a sudden you're deciding to get out of the farming game because you think you can make some money off the sale of nutrient credits which people can you're locking that up for you know 125 years worth of monitoring but in reality forever in terms of saying i won't farm this land if in 30 years time we can actually come across some new way of doing it on that parcel which unlocks half the field you want to build that flexibility in are we at a point though where these offsetting schemes are kind of off the ground and and working reasonably because like i gather that there are regional differences that in the north of england perhaps this might not be as an established market i mean obviously none of it's that established but presumably there are differences around the country Definitely, I think so. And as you say, I've been talking about the south of England earlier. I think it's a much more established and LPAs have a much better idea of what's an appropriate scheme, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And they've got the ecologists who have the knowledge of that already to, to monitor it. Is that mainly also because it's been going for longer? Because such a big chunk was, was southeast, wasn't it, from 2019? And then only a year or so ago, the others were added on. Yeah, exactly. So now it's spread to Kent and Norfolk and yeah, up north. But I think LPAs are trying to get the knowledge, but there is a lack of knowledge sharing between LPAs and Natural England on what schemes that they're approving in one area, but they might not be approving somewhere else. So that also might account for the differences in applications being approved as well because of the lack of sharing of knowledge. And how's it from an environmental perspective? Because I know people get very excited about the house building aspect and obviously we need more homes in this country, but What's at stake in terms of how bad is it, would you say, in terms of if we had overturned these rules and just gone ahead with the house building as uh, Rishi Sunak had originally outlined, how problematic is that for the environment? I think it's quite problematic because there's, I mean, for a while now, there's been a lot of lot in the news about um, wastewater treatment works discharging into the rivers and seas and people not being able to swim and enjoy that. And I think the public would have a huge backlash if, if Rishi Sunak had managed to, to get that through Parliament. Yeah, I think it's such a hot topic and our waterways are important to us and to wildlife and we don't want to reduce that at all. And I expect that Natural England would say that its pilot is now working reasonably and that there is a sort of happy compromise where builders can continue building homes, the rivers are clean. How far away are we from that being actual reality? I think that's a difficulty because the rivers have already been degraded enough to a certain level that now they're calling for this. Where the nutrient neutral is only keeping it at its current level, it's not improving it. Whereas biodiversity net gain, you need that 10% extra nutrient neutrality. It's just one for one currently. So the river will just be, and the waterways will just be maintained at this level, which still isn't the best levels for it to be at. And the 2030 point where anyway, all of this is supposed to be upgraded and wastewater treatment works are meant to be at high standards, we, but we don't know that for sure that will happen at that date. So it's not just a temporary stopgap, is it? I mean, this is over seven years away and probably longer. 
yeah, that, that is the thing. You don't know, like it might be extended further. But right now we're working to that 2030 deadline, which is in the levelling up bill. Thank you so much for joining me, Steph and Sam. It's really great to get your takes on neutrality. It's a really complicated issue. It's certainly something that is coming up. Um, and residential developers are clearly very concerned about the impact. So helpful just to get a sense of where the market is going. The fact that there is this sort of tentative 2030 deadline. Really great to hear from you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. See our show notes for more details. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks. <laughs>